When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to your Tuesday Buckeye Talk. Drop it in here on Thanksgiving week. Dougley Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means. Tuesday pod, that's this. Not the usual. Wednesday pod will be on Wednesday. That'll be reacting to what Ryan Day and the Ohio State captains say when we speak with them on Tuesday. That'll be the Wednesday pod. Thursday pod game preview. We're going to dig in big. That'll be, I think, longer game preview than usual. We really want to cover all the football. We'll have two guys from M Live who cover Michigan on with us, just like we had for Michigan State last week. So we will get plenty of football to you. And I think I'm even going to do a survey for the texters for that Thursday pod, sort of about who do you think the Ohio State star of the game might be, who's an under-the-radar under guy who could pop up and have a great game that happens in the Michigan game sometimes. We'll do a little bit more with how you think the game will unfold, kind of, because there is there is some good football here for sure. But we want to do a little history. We want to do a little about Buckmore. We want to do a little fun. We want to do a little, you know, people getting riled up for the rivalry. We're doing two Mount Buckmores today, and it's mostly a chance for our texters to rant. And they did a great job with that. The two categories that we're going to cover, we're going to pick the top four things for the best Michigan villains. And we will talk about what goes into being a villain for your rival. And then we, and we will do the four best Ohio State wins in this series. And listen, I don't know. There might be one in 1936, but people didn't vote for that. So I gave a list of things for people to vote on. We're going to discuss some stuff, but let's start with the games. And the second part, the villains, it's going to be a lot of a Jim Harbaugh discussion and kind of where Jim Harbaugh is right now in this rivalry. Nathan, talking about the best games. So it's Ohio State wins because I don't you know. People were, there's some stuff that goes into a great win. I think people, for instance, some people talked about the 1973 game, which is the highlight where the Ohio State players like run through the M Club banner in Ann Arbor and shred it. It's like a famous highlight, but it was a tie. So like there's no, you can't, like it's a great moment, but then the game was a tie. So like that's not on the list that I sent people. What to you, Nathan, makes a great win in a rivalry like this? And it can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. Well, I think stakes are part of it. Um, I know that in a rivalry, people say that you throw out the records or whatever, the old cliche. But I think when one or especially both of the teams have aspirations that are achievable, uh, postseason aspirations, championship aspirations that are on the line in that game, I think that's an important thing. And then I also think that for it to be a, a great game, it has to be a competitive game from both sides. It's Even if it's a great win, for Ohio State, which I think is a different question, or a great win for Michigan, that's different than a great game. 
So which well, are you it asking? Really are you is, asking I'm really yeah, asking yeah. because I'm only did Ohio State wins. If Ohio okay. State lost, I mean, nobody wants – we're yeah. an Ohio State podcast. So, People don't want to talk about that time Michigan played a great game. So yeah. it is great Ohio State wins. And then I think it. Then I think you can throw out what I'm saying because I think then it can be um, like some of the, three years ago where Michigan is favored to win and Ohio State comes in and beats them 62 to 39. I think that can that can that qualifies as a great win, even though it's not a super competitive game. The fact that it ended up not being a competitive game almost makes it a great greater win for Ohio State. I think it either needs to be a good football game and memorable game, something that you tell your kids about 15, 20 years from now. There's high stakes on the line or it's a line in the sand Mm. where it means something because somebody just planted a flag. And since we're talking, since we're Ohio state football podcast, Ohio state just planted a flag with this win. So it doesn't matter what the score is. It can be 12 to nine, or it can be 62 to 39. This was a line in the sand for where this program is headed in comparison to where Michigan's program is headed. And sometimes it's multiple of those things. Along those lines, along the line in the sand lines, a lot of support for the 2001 Ohio State win mm-hmm. in Jim Tressel's debut. That was not a great season of Ohio State football, but Jim Tressel, everyone references the speech at the basketball game, and then to go out and do it and draw that line in the sand at the end of the Cooper era, a lot of people supported that kind of win. Not, but I'll tell you, it's interesting. Almost no support for the 2012 win that was Urban Meyer's first game that ended a perfect season. They could not go to the postseason. They had lost the year before, but I think people saw that as a blip. And it wasn't as much a line in the sand as, well, there was kind of like a little, somebody built a little sandcastle, then like that was a sandcastle with a Michigan flag on it in 2011. And then you went past it and continued in your path on the sand. So not as much support for that. And then the 2019 Ryan Day's debut, Ryan Day's kind of emotional after the game. You could sort of feel like, hey, I'm I'm sort of like an outsider, but I came here and I take this responsibility very seriously. And I'm I'm here on behalf of everybody who loves the Buckeyes. And he you could feel him sort of carrying, I think, that burden of that game and to win that game convincingly again as a head coach. Like not a ton of support for that, because, again, it was like, well, it continued what Urban did. Right. And that it wasn't a line in the sand, Stephen, that it was a it was a transition, but it wasn't really a change, which is a, a different thing. It's I think there's two line and clear line in the sand games. It's obviously the 2001 game because Jim Trestle had just spent the year before going St. John. We're going to go beat the team up north that we, I promise you that is going to happen. This isn't going to be John Cooper all over again where we're winning every game. But that one, we're going to fix that immediately. And then he went and made himself a profit. That's a line in the sand. The 2019 one's not a line in the sand and the 2012 one aren't because Michigan sucked in 2012. And Michigan, I mean, Urban Myers here. Yeah, but Michigan sucks right now. 2019 is a 2018 is the line in the sand because like <laughs> I always like this. Who broke who? That's like one of my favorite things to say. Ryan Day kind of broke Michigan's defense that year. He broke Don Brown and Michigan hasn't been the same since then. So those are, I think this century, those are the two line in the sand games because one right at the ship and the other one is like Ohio State's about to run away with this rivalry and Michigan might not be able to do anything to stop it. I think if we were doing a Michigan podcast, I would assume that the number one game for Michigan fans is the 1969 game when Bo yep. Schembechler in year one 
beats this super talented Ohio State team that was undefeated, that was the reigning national champion. They hired Bo. They need someone who can stand up to Woody, and they win in 1969, and that, that starts the 10-year war. And that's the line in the sand, right? So I do think that it would be interesting almost – I mean, I, I would be interested to hear a Michigan podcast do the top four Michigan games – from this standpoint, because there's some great, I mean, everybody knows there's some great Michigan wins, which by the way, created some great Michigan villains. Cause when we have the villain discussion, it's like, well, it's almost like a sign. If you're viewed as a villain by a rival, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're good, but it very well might mean that you were good and they hate you for your greatness. So that's a very interesting thing. So Nathan, some of these things, again, like if we're talking about Lines in the sand. I would be interested. I don't know. I wish I knew this. We'll have to ask the Michigan guys on the game preview pod. Do Michigan fans hate Ryan Day? That Of all the things, like I think sometimes I was on a show, I was on an ESPN show a couple weeks ago. It was like Ryan Day, and they're asking about Ryan Day. And I always wonder about Ryan Day. Is he fair? How unknown is he nationally, right? When you're talking about Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney and Lincoln Riley and Jimbo Fisher, right? And uh, Jim Harbaugh, all these famous coaches. Do college football fans by now know the deal with Ryan Day? Or, or if you said, here we go, I want you to name the head coaches of these 10 teams and you were running through, would they go, ah, uh, um, Ryan, ah, uh, right? Do you think that still happens, Nathan? There would be more of that with Ohio State than those other teams that you're mentioning, I think, yes. And I think part of it is his personality is mm-hmm. not as – it's low-key for the most part. Um, and it's also – this is such a weird thing to say. It's just a boring name, like compared to some of those names. He didn't go, he also didn't like Jim Harbaugh went and was an NFL quarterback and he was Stanford's coach when they had Andrew Luck. Like he had this other, he, so he had a name already. And then it's just, it's right. It's not Dabo Sweeney, like a name, two names that you had never seen before crammed together now into one name that now goes and wins national championships. It's just Ryan Day. The it's, guy it's the that pers- you were—it was like your, your, your—you, you, you had—he was in your Cub Scout troop when you were a kid. Ryan Day, just a guy. Ryan Day can definitely go to Kroger still, and people not know who he is. And I know that because they went and did some TV spots in Kroger, and he was like, "Hi, I'm Ryan Day," and people were like, "Excuse me, I'm trying to get to the grapes." But uh, it's—he's not a caricature of himself yet. That's true. You know, and a mean? lot of like, a lot of college coaches are. Yes. It's, and, and, that, and I mean that in both good and bad ways. Like Nick Saban's a legend. Urban Meyer's a legend. Dabo Sweeney and Jimbo's, first of all, their names are Dabo and Jimbo. And second of all, they're just kind of, they're, they're country bumpkins. And then Lincoln Riley, if you've ever heard Lincoln Riley talk, he's a country bumpkin too. And there's, there's no, nothing, there's no, even the Air Maxis thing, he always wears Air Maxis. Everybody wears Air Maxis. So you can't even have the Jim Trestle thing where he always wears the, the sweater vest. There's nothing about him that's like a well, brand. I, He's I just Brian like Day. Even his predecessor, like Chip Kelly had like the visor and like, it was almost like yeah. a Chip Kelly style thing. And Ryan Day just looks like any other guy that's standing on the sideline on a, on a it, given game. What about Rhino? Rhino, no, Jimbo, no. Dabo, Rhino. Like you need, there needs to be something. It is sometimes weird. I talked about this in a text that we had recently. We were trying to write something using the word like lowercase day in the same yeah. sentence as you're writing Ryan yeah. Day, or capital day. <laughs> like that gets a little weird. But uh, I think it's just it, it's it's the mix of the personality, and he also hasn't won. Like Nick Saban isn't like Mister Personality either, but he's won seven national championships or whatever. So except he will curse out. 
except he will curse out media members and he has these little fiery temper tantrums on the sidelines. We don't see that with Day at all. It was the the fresh the fact that he didn't have a beard and he was like Ryan Day boy genius, but now he's lost it, so he doesn't shave his beard anymore. But so the question that sort of precipitated this little mini conversation was, but within that, if he is fairly anonymous for a very successful college football coach, is he not anonymous to Michigan fans because they hate him because he broke their defense? Well, I wonder about that because there are some people that Ohio State fans are like, God, I hate that guy. And there were some of them that they, they said, I hate this guy, put him on the villain list. And I sort of had to look it up, right? Because I didn't live through that Ohio State Michigan game. But but even before he became the head coach, I just, I wonder the Don Brown, Ryan Day thing. I wonder if they dislike him more than maybe we would realize. But do they see him in the same way that we sometimes talk about him as like the orchestrator and the generator of that offensive dominance? Or do they see him just as a symbol of Ohio State's separation and talent right now? Let's I see think- what happens with CJ on Saturday, because I think that's part of it. Uh, if it because this will be the third quarterback, if he goes in there and he puts up sixty points on Michigan on Saturday, it'll be the third quarterback where he's just blowing Michigan off the field, and they couldn't do anything about it. So that, I, th- I think that changes it a little. I think it's possible that Michigan fans would say, "Listen, man, we thought like Trestle took us apart, like Urban was taking us apart. We got Harbaugh. We thought, all right, Harbaugh can like at least try to do something against Urban, and then actually Urban didn't last that long." But right when Urban was maybe getting a little stale offensively, he hired this guy that we had never heard of. And then we were favored one year in his second year's offensive coordinator, and they scored 62. And then Urban left, and we were like, yes, Urban's leaving. And he took over, and they're better. Like, I I could see them being like, people in Texas and California might not exactly know who Ryan Day is, but people in Michigan hate him. I I could see that being on the table. He took their hope away from them because even with Urban and Jim Trestle, there were competitive moments where like one thing goes a little differently. Urban Meyer is not undefeated in that rivalry. One thing, a couple things go a little differently. Michigan's probably playing in a national championship game. Ryan Day is putting up 60 and 55 plus points every year. Just as you thought you were getting close, just as you thought you were ready to make this a a real competitive rivalry again, this guy comes in and he takes away that small little bit of hope away. That's what you would hate Ryan Day for. But I think the important thing to remember is, unlike, say, the Cooper years, where it sometimes seemed like Ohio State could beat anybody else but Michigan, it's not that Michigan can beat anybody else but Ohio State. Michigan also doesn't go usually on the road and win big games against anybody. So I think it's still that is maybe where there's still a little bit of cushion between true hate for Ryan Day because it's not just Ohio State that they can't break through right now. But but this is a playoff play-in game, borderline. So that's true now. Yep. 2016, and that wasn't Ryan Day, but like 2016 was. That was 2-3, right? That's another mm-hmm. game that's going to get we're going to talk about a lot. So I mean they have been not as consistently, but they've had some peaks here. But I do think the thing about we thought this was our chance and it doesn't, maybe it doesn't seem like it. It is interesting to me that, and by the way, like he had an extra year to sort of not gloat necessarily. Also, he said, supposedly he said he's going to drop a hundred on him. Yeah. <laughs> His first year. <laughs> and then they almost didn't, I mean, they don't drop a hundred, but they dropped a lot on him. And then they had to simmer in that for a year. They didn't play last year. 
Like Ohio State won the national title game. We didn't play Michigan. So now it's like, oh, we've been waiting for this Ryan Day. Jim Harbaugh has a little dartboard in this basement, Ryan Day's face on it. I don't know, right? I mean, like the Jim Harbaugh, we talked about Jim Harbaugh on the Monday Madness when he hired Mike McDonald as defensive coordinator. Did they talk about Ohio State? I mean, they talk about Ryan Day. I need a Ryan Day stopper, right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe we're imagining this, but maybe, Ryan, this is my first Tuesday question. Ryan, do you think Michigan might hate you more than we realize? I have some version of that question. Am I taking that from anybody? You guys cool if I, I ask that? No, yeah, I, st- I don't know. I, I do still just wonder if if it's if we because Ohio State looks at this rivalry, regardless of the results every year, I think they it it just seems to mean a little bit more to this fan base and to this program. And I still think that on the Michigan side of things, they look at it like, well, what do you want us to do? Like the, the fan, just from fans that you see on online, even sometimes it's like, yeah, I mean, you, the Ohio State's better right now. Like what? What is there to say? Like it's it's kind of like an Auburn Alabama thing, except Auburn doesn't even beat Auburn beats Alabama even more often than Michigan does. All right, so let's get into some of the best games. There are some things in place here, guys, that this could be quite a good game. This has a chance to be one of these that we discussed for a long time. And by the way, again, going over it, my first game was 05. You know, there's a lot of really good games. There were some kind of boring ones in the Brady Hope, Rich Rod era there for a while, but it's like Mm -hmm. 05 and 06, then 13 was crazy, then 14 was super important, then 16 was unbelievable, right? Then 18, Ohio State was underdog, 17, Dwayne comes in for JT. There have been, for the fact that Ohio State has won them all, there have been some really good games here. So this is the 117th meeting. In the rivalry, according to uh, I'm just happy to be look, looking at the Michigan game notes, 24th time that both Michigan and Ohio State will be ranked in the top 10 for this game. So you think about that 24 times out of 117. That's not all the time. Ohio State is 12, 9 and 2 when both teams are ranked in the top 10. Michigan has won seven of the last 11. This is one of those things. It's like Cooper era. Seven of the last eleven, but Michigan's won. But Ohio State's won the last four. So when they're both ranked in the top ten, Ohio State has won the last four top ten matchups of these teams. But before that, Michigan had won seven in a row because Cooper had a top ten team every year and came in and lost to Michigan. Uh, this is 49th game in Michigan Stadium, 60th all time in Ann Arbor. Uh, Ohio State has won 15 of the last 16. As we know. All right. 2006 is number one, right? Do we even have to like, does it, like, is this, I mean, it's one of these things. It was number one versus number two. It was the, the Heisman Trophy winner, like won the game for Ohio State. It was a three point game, although it wasn't quite that close the whole time. But I mean, it, I don't know. It's one of these things. Like you're going to do this stuff forever. Steven, I don't know. How do you, how do you beat that? Did you have that number one on your list? We did a retalkable on it. And yes, it was so good that people thought they should have just ran it back. Until Florida decided, no, they shouldn't have. Yeah, yeah, it's not close. From the 409, greatest game, number one versus number two in 2006, when Troy Smith got hit out of bounds and gave Ohio State the new downs. I'll never forget looking at my dad and saying, they just gave us the game. We're going to win it. My fondest memory uh, to date. So that's the kind of thing that happens in a game like that. We, we've gone over that. We've done our talkables. All the things that go into something like that, 
I mean, Nathan, it's possible that, you know, again, our great grandchildren will be doing this podcast in 50 years and you won't have a game better than that. It was by far the overwhelming number one choice of the Texers. I gave them 13 choices as we try to make a top four games here for our Mount Buckmore. 2.54, the second choice was 4.54. So that's a pretty large margin, Nathan. It's about as good as it gets. I mean, it checks pretty much every box, doesn't it? It's there's You couldn't have higher stakes unless they were playing for the national championship. You couldn't have really two better performances. I'm sure, I mean, any game, both teams probably would take things back, but like teams that you know, played equated to each other, a, a very you know competitive game, and you have within that memorable players and then memorable moments. Like if a moment can endure from a game, that usually means that game endures in some way too. I agree. So that's an obvious number one. Now it gets sticky because I will say I was surprised, and I want to talk about this here, but the 2018 game got a ton of support in people writing about it. And why is that? It's because Ohio State was an underdog and kicked their butt. And Stephen, mm-hmm. you're nodding along with that. It was the first time that Ohio State was an underdog since 2004. It is something that Ohio State fans in this rivalry do not get to experience very often. And the idea that Ohio State was doubted, Michigan thought this was it, and it was sort of set, and you almost set Michigan up and then cut their legs out. People really love that, Stephen, to a greater extent than I even appreciated. They did it the revenge tour along the way. That was a thing that Michigan Chase Winovich was talking about pretty much that whole season. And like, I, I don't remember the exact quote, but it was the idea that Ohio State's the last team that they need to check off on that list. And yeah, I, we both picked Michigan to win that game. And I like flipped last second because I think I said right before we start recording, I think I'm going to pick Ohio State and then you know, check it out and pick Michigan. And then they put 62 points on their head. And I mean, look, think about how much stuff was birthed from that game. The that's the passing attack was at its full disarray in that game. We've seen how Ryan Day has done since that game. Chris Olave is born in that game. Uh, Chase Young is making plays in that game. It's just Ohio State gave up 39 points partially because Demario McCall, you know, muffed the punt and some weird stuff happened. But for the most part, they dominated that game in a year where they were the underdog for the first time in a while. And it they were coming off a Maryland win where they won by one point in overtime. On the 513, 2018 should be on the list as a dark horse. I was at that game and everyone at the tailgates that morning was miserable, feeling like Michigan might get their first win in a long time. Then it turned into a blowout. It was an absolute blast and such an unexpected, massive win. I think people forget how convinced everyone was that they might lose. It won't win, but it's worth discussing. 2016 should 100% be on the list as well. That's the Curtis Samuel game. So I think that unexpected, Nathan, that is not something that we hear very much when we talk about Ohio State wins in this series right now. Well, like I said before, that I think that having stakes matter, but that doesn't always have to, I guess, be you know championship stakes or playoff stakes. I think sometimes it can just be the stakes of what it's going to mean for each program and what it would have meant for Michigan to then come in and and defend that 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 favorite status and knock Ohio State back, especially at that juncture, you know, with where things were going with Urban Meyer, the the, the 
program was a little bit, I don't know, fragile is probably not the right word, but it was iffy at that moment, right? Just the way that season had gone, the, the, the Purdue loss, the Maryland win, just a lot of things. And I think that that was a moment. And I wonder, it'd be interesting to ask the texters if we could have like a real-time conversation with them really about whether that game being at home kind of adds to how memorable it becomes because on a day like that where things are starting off kind of gloomy and people are thinking, having an uneasy feeling about it, and then to go have the team kind of lift them up when it can sometimes happen the other way, but for the team to kind of lift them up. And then now the game is over and you've got this whole rest of the afternoon and evening into Columbus to go sort of celebrate and revel in keeping that dominant status. I I wonder if that might affect some fans appreciation of that moment. And then, you know, historically, Right. We didn't know at the time that it was Urban's last rivalry game, right. but it turned out to be that mm-hmm. we knew that Urban at that point was dealing with the headaches and was having health issues. And there certainly was some scuttlebutt about could could he maybe be thinking about hanging it up? But I think it almost goes back to what you said, Stephen, about line in the sand. It's that maybe Michigan thought it was going to be a line in the sand and then Ohio State rubbed out the line in the sand. So mm-hmm. it almost has sort of that lot potential line in the sand thing that sticks with you because it didn't happen because let's just it's Michigan wins that game and then now Urban Meyer retires and Ryan Day's all the elements that were with Ryan Day's first season before they got on the field and we realized Sean was just going to sack everybody every other play I mean nine and three Doug it was already like kind of iffy it's not it was already kind of reasonable to think that might happen now it's real and it might be like eight and four because they might lose to Michigan too, because now Michigan has all the confidence in the world because Jim Harbaugh has got that monkey off his back and that Michigan team probably goes to the playoffs. I maybe, mean, maybe they get in over Oklahoma. Maybe uh, I, I, that's, I mean, that's a different conversation, but the point is that's a big monkey for Jim Harbaugh to get off his back. And now he can, you know, compete in this rivalry as normal and not still be in the situation we're in right now where he's still looking for his first win and he might not get it. I do wonder if the win would have maybe meant more to Michigan than the loss would have devastated Ohio State just because the way that that season had gone. And because you're doing a coaching change, there's some rebirth and you bring it in that that same collection of talent for 2019. But I do think avoiding the loss, and this is maybe contradictory, but avoiding the loss, I think, was kind of big for Ohio State just because I remember like seeing Urban Meyer after the Purdue loss and like all of the weight that was on his shoulders and you felt that weight, I think, over the program in general that season, the, at the stretch of that. Doug, you would know better than me being there. And Stephen, I guess you were there at the, at the end of that, too. But it just there was a malaise there. And I thought that maybe that that, that way that Michigan game went helped lift that malaise a little bit. Could Urban Meyer have retired lose, after losing to Michigan? Could he have gone out that way? That's a good question. I mean, I, you know, he would have told you in the moment that the way he presented it is like the health would have forced yeah. his hand, but then he came back a couple of years later. So, right. I mean, it, there's a lot of interesting things to think about. And I mean, to get to that point, Ohio state was number 10 going into that game. Michigan was number four and they wind up there. I think Ohio state, I think was a four and a half point underdog. They wind up winning 62 to 39. It would have been such, we don't know what a major boost for the Michigan program looks like. Right that we've never seen it <laughs> like, cause even the year they won, you know, it kind of could be chalked off as like, well, this is a weird year for Ohio state. It wasn't like it, what didn't announce Michigan's arrival as, Hey, we're now on equal footing with Ohio state because 
in a weird year in 2011, Michigan beat them. But we're seeing like a little bit of that in a world where Jaheim Singletary just committed to Georgia after decommitting from Ohio State a couple weeks ago, months ago. Georgia is using this excellent season it's having mm-hmm. to build more on what they already have. Now, does this mean that Georgia is going to pass Alabama? I don't know anything that anyone's ever going to pass Saban. But not only is Georgia right now, Georgia this season is a better team than Alabama. Are they going to beat Bama for sure in the SEC championship game? I don't know. They certainly have looked like the better team this year, but they're adding to it. What would have happened if Michigan Nathan ever had a moment to say, all right, not that they would have gotten 15 commits the next day, but it would have changed the entire viewpoint of the Michigan program. And yet instead, here we are with kind of the same old, same old, because when Michigan was favored, they lost by four touchdowns. I think it's possible that that will be true again someday. There is part of me that still hesitates just because I, how often are they really going for the same guy? And like, how often would it flip the choice? Like, I'm not saying it that's, never happens, but that's because it's not, they can't. I mean, why shoot for a star that, you know, you can't hit. This but what I'm if you saying, had the, what if you had the confidence to know that you could actually get that guy that changes but, things. So it's a step, but I don't know. I don't know how much one win is going to flip it right now. Cause Georgia at least has already been a playoff team was in a national championship game mm-hmm. has been, has been playing at a high level on the recruiting. They won't, they've been underachieving their recruiting and I guess so has Michigan in some ways, but Georgia has been like, well, you've got the number one class in the country, like two of the last five years. Yeah. Like, why aren't you, where, where are mm-hmm. you at? And where Michigan, it's like, well, you, well, you've got the second best class in the big 10, two of the last five years. Why are you just Iowa? But it, I mean, it's again, we can't, we've been on here doing this podcast for seven years. Now we come on here and we say, well, they're eventually get Ohio state's going to lose to Michigan again. I don't think they're going to lose a hundred straight, you know, lose a hundred straight to Ohio state. And then every year Ohio state wins, but we don't even, we don't even know. Like it's almost, you can't even like, there's part of Like, I don't know what that Michigan looks like because we think, I mean, it certainly would help them, but to what degree we don't know because they haven't had anything close to that big of a win. So it's, it's interesting to think about. And the fact that it didn't happen, I think the thing you said, Nathan, is almost right. That it's almost like it wasn't that Ohio State won. It's that they kept Michigan from winning or that they avoided, you know, that it was that if, if it was just a weird year and Ohio State would have lost, I think Ohio State fans would have said, well, that was a weird year. That really wasn't us. We'll get it back. But Michigan would have been like, yes. And instead, they took that yes away from Michigan, which is why it's number five for the Texters. So it didn't make it. It's not. But, <laughs> but I will say, but people wrote about it from the 616. Nothing will beat being at the 2018 Ohio State-Michigan game and spoiling their revenge tour. Every year is Michigan's year, and that was especially fun to ruin. And Michigan's year was in quotes there. Uh, another one from the 201. 2018, the game was definitely a fun one considering we entered the game as an underdog with Michigan riding that revenge tour hype and had to come up with mirage talk afterwards. The result broke everyone's expectations, including Buckeye fans. Also, it partially explains why Chris Olave is a fan favorite. And I just, as an editor's note, a lot of you write TTUN and that kind of thing. I just say Michigan. So I, people listening to this can understand a lot of texters do not write the word Michigan, but we say the word Michigan because the name of their team is Michigan. But like, that's kind of what we're talking about guys that 2018 really stands out as different. And sometimes when you're winning 15 out of 16, 
it's hard to be different, but it didn't make it. It's fifth with 5.84. It is right behind number four. And the votes are still coming in. It's one of these things. You get the first batch of votes, and it turns out that that almost always stands up. It's like representative, but we like to get as many votes as possible. It's now 5.83 for the 2018 win. The 2001 win is 5.77. So as it stands right now, 2001, Jim Tressel's first win, the line in the sand is on this Mount Buckmore from the 567. The greatest game, 2001. The stakes weren't as big as other years, but Tressel winning in his first try flipped the script. Quote, in 310 days, promise kept. Fans who didn't live through 2-10-1 may never appreciate the magnitude of winning in 2001. Nathan, that is a compelling case. Yeah, I mean, and to just to go back to the stakes, like he had he said it, he had to go win that game. Like whether it was a five and seven season or whatever, like you, you had to go win that game. I think I was talking to uh, Denzel Burke today at this uh, event that the players were at. And I was talking to him about this sort of line. He kind of walks between confident and brash. And I said, you know, I don't think it's really that you're that brash. I think you're just very honest with us and you just say what you think. He's like, yeah, that's it. But I'm like, but also when you say, yeah, John Dotson, he's good, but I can handle it. Doesn't that then like put it on your back that you then have to go handle it? And he's like, yeah, like that's that's part of it. That's why he, part of why he does it. And I feel like that's a little bit of what Jim Trussell was working with there. Like once you say it out there, like it's not just a goal to beat Michigan. It's always a goal to beat. But once you say we're going to go beat Michigan, you got to go do it. And and that's so it was almost a line that they had drawn in the sand for themselves. Haskell Garrett just did it on Saturday when yeah. he said they were going to whoop you, Michigan State, you know what? And then, hey, time to find out. They, they did whoop <laughs> Michigan State, you know what? I, I do think that I know the stakes weren't the same from a, you know, a championship, a, a chance to go win a championship, one on the line and all that stuff. But the stakes are still similar because what's happened since then doesn't happen. I don't think if Jim Trussell loses that game because now if you lose that game, all of a sudden it's like, oh, well. Jim Trussell is going to be more of the same. That's how people look at it if he doesn't win that game. So well, I it's think not a standard. The, the stakes were still pretty high, though, because it's the stakes of a championship and things are somewhat out of your control sometimes, especially in the BCS era where you're still mm-hmm. there's a voting element and everything. And whereas the stakes of what your program is going to be are very much under your control. And I thought that that was the line that was being they were drawing a line in their own sand, like regardless of what Michigan was doing. Like, I don't think he had to do it in terms of if they wouldn't have beaten Michigan his first year. I don't know. People wouldn't have been out on Jim Trestle because it's like they just were they just had 13 years of this stuff. They wouldn't have been mm-hmm. like we he's a failure. But when he won. He immediately established himself as something and like the building block of the 2002 national championship is built on the Michigan win of 2001 because they didn't have a great year in 2001, but Michigan was number 11 going into that game. Ohio state is unranked. They go to Ann Arbor and they win 26, 20. And then anything is possible. Like you, you, how can you do anything? Which is what Harbaugh is running into right now. Line in the sand, Steven. What if Harbaugh mm-hmm. had won his first rivalry game? Like 2015, it's Harbaugh's first game in the rivalry. 
Ohio State is coming off the Michigan State loss. They've had their season ruined. Their national title hopes dashed. And if Harbaugh had capitalized on that and said, let's go beat, hey, they're no longer the greatest team in the country. It's not about how good they are. It's I am establishing something for my program. And instead, they Ohio State got mad and decided Ezekiel Elliott was in the offensive line. We're going to run people over all day and blew them out. But if Harbaugh had drawn that line in the sand, then, Stephen, we might see a whole different Michigan program. Because now anything is possible. And especially from a recruiting standpoint, to Nathan's point, no, they're not consistently going after the same guys. But if you set the standard and set a tone your first year, hey, we just beat Ohio State. There are some guys, especially in the Midwest, there are some guys who are now looking like, hmm, what if we go over to this side instead? Because now this is a competition. You know, what if we build something? Because, like, Harbaugh has got something cooking. Instead, you lost. And so nothing's cooking. And then you lose again. And then, obviously, what we know what happens the next year. We'll get into that later on. But you didn't set a tone. And so now you don't – you didn't grab anybody's attention. That's basic. when you win the first time, it's now I have your attention. And Jim Trestle did that. Urban Meyer did that. Ryan Day's done that. Jim Harbaugh didn't do that. And instead, you end up chasing that one thing the whole time. Yep. Because I think if you're really in a rivalry on any list of like, what do we have to do as a program? I mean, like, I think number one is beat your rival, right? And then, well, we want to compete for a, a conference championship. We want to go to a great bowl game. We want to compete for a national championship. But if you can't even get past the first step, you're stuck a little bit. And Trestle and Urban and Day got rid of that right away. And Harbaugh is still chasing the same thing. So, okay, let's take a quick break. A couple of games I want to talk about. We'll reveal what our texter Mount Buckmore is. We're going to really lean on the texters here. They're doing a good job. If you want to be part of it, 614-350-3315. We love seeing how you vote. We love getting your input when you respond um, to the texts and, and you know let us know what you're thinking. Really good stuff. It's a lot of fun. It's a two-week free trial. Great time to get in. 614-350-3315. We'll be right back. Okay, so I want to talk about the 1987 game. And I will be honest, I did not have 2001 in my own top four. Stephen, did you have it in your own top four? Yeah, mine's a lot of minor recency bias for obvious reasons. And that's fair. But yeah, that's fair. A lot of the texters are recency bias and that's fine. This is our texture yeah. list. It's not, we're not writing a book. It's not a definitive, whatever. It's our people, what they think. 1987 is a very interesting case of like stakes versus draw. The human aspect versus like a memorable, almost like the old, like black. And can you encapsulate the entire game in one black and white photo? I think is almost a category, right? If you're trying to do most memorable game and to have Earl Bruce being carried <laughs> on by his players in his final game, they wore headbands for him. That image, you know, Earl was very successful in the rivalry. He was five and four in the rivalry, but great Ohio state team, or he wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have lost his job. Neither team was ranked in 1987. Ohio State wins 23-20 in it. Bo says afterward, you know, I kind of don't mind losing that. Earl were friends. 
it's in my book. Kirk Herbstreet's there as a, as a recruit. He's a, a, a recruiting guest of Michigan, even though he's a diehard Ohio State fan. He was like, I'll take the free, the free ticket to the game to get to watch Ohio State, Michigan. He's in Bo Schembechler's office after the game with his dad, with Bo Schembechler trying to recruit Kirk Herbstreet. Earl Bruce comes in, kicks the door open, and starts Bo fired right after beating Bo in the game. Because that's like Earl and Bruce. I mean, Earl and Bo had that kind of relationship. And Kirk Herbstreet is sitting on the couch and Earl Bruce looks over at him and says, like, what the hell are you doing here? Because Earl Bruce has been recruiting Kirk Herbstreet, too. Kirk Herbstreet's like, I'm just here for the free ticket, man. So, like, this is a historic game, Nathan, with a lot of human stakes, a lot of personal stakes, not very many stakes beyond that, because Earl already lost his job. Neither team was ranked. Bo wasn't going anywhere, right? So. I have 1987 second on my list, primarily because there's the black and white photo in my head that I can see that picture in my head. And it tells me everything I need to know about what happened in that game. And it's very, very human. But the texters don't agree with that at all. Perhaps recency biased, biased, but also perhaps because there have been a million games with much bigger stakes. I only gave them 13 games to rank. The 87 game is ninth for the Texters. Am I putting too much on the human element here, Nathan? Yeah, probably a little bit. Um, not that I think it's again. Well, just, I mean, you, you put more on it maybe than I would. I think it's just, I said before that when you have a moment that endures, the game probably endures. And to some extent, that's true. I mean, it's still one of the 10 best by their estimation, or at least ranked 10th on this list. But like you said before, Ohio State is 12-9-2. and two when both teams are in the top 10. So there've been 23 games in the history of this series where both teams are ranked in the top 10. So to have one where neither team was playing for something other than the rivalry, because they play for the rivalry every year. So when you're just playing for the rivalry, it would have to be a really, really special outcome. I think. Plus Ohio state stinks that year. They're six, four and one, you know, it's kind of, so that's, that's why I got fired. Yeah. 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 So it's kind of, it's very hard to, I get it. It's a cool picture. But I guess that would mean more if you were one of his players than if you were a fan, I think. I mean, I think if you said to people the Earl game, right? It's one of those things. Can you describe the game in question in three words? The Earl game. Yeah. Yes, I, yes, I can. But like Tyvis Powell interception. Yes, I can. Gonzalez helicopter catch. Yes, I can. One versus two. Yes, I can. Dwayne Haskin Haskins enters. Yes, I can. Super soft's blowout. Yes, I can. Trestle wins debut. Yes, I can. Ryan, Ryan, Ryan Day murders Don Brown and buries him in the backyard. <laughs> That's more than three. Don Brown, new coach at UMass, by the way. Good luck to Don Brown. So I guess I, I guess I'm making a losing argument. I thought I was making a winning argument, then it turns out I'm just good at that game. But it probably, I guess we understand why the Texters have it ninth, even though I had it in my top four. Let's get to what the Texters do have third. And this is a very convincing third. It's right on the heels of number two. And it's the 2002 game where Ohio State wins 14-9, keeps its perfect season going, and keeps alive the opportunity to go play Miami for the national championship. Nathan, stakes, no bigger stakes. Right, and I don't even know off the top of my head where Michigan was that year, but if you 
can even if your personal stakes aren't that high if you can ruin the stakes of the opponent if you can ruin the stakes of your rival if you can be the ultimate spoiler then that's significant too so the fact that it's not just in it to have a hard-fought rivalry win in route to what ultimately turned into a national championship i think that absolutely is going to endure in people's mind ohio state number two michigan number 12 going into that game in Columbus, Ohio State wins 14 to 9. Steven, did you have this in your top four? No. And the reason why is it's a big moment, but if they don't win the national championship that year, it, it, it's just another really impressive win for Ohio State in the rivalry. It's the fact that they got the job done is why we mention it. It, it is interesting. There's a really smart text here from the 414. I was at the shoe in 2002. The Buckeyes forced back-to-back Michigan turnovers in Ohio State territory to end the game and got the Michigan spoiler monkey off their back. Storming the field was as cathartic as it was celebratory. Nothing will ever top that for an in-person experience. And I think what we're talking about there, I mean, this is, again, this is very human within the high stakes, Ohio State's number two in 2002. Michigan is ranked, but not as good. And Michigan doesn't spoil Ohio State's season. 1996, Ohio State's number two. Michigan's number 21. Michigan wins 13-9. Spoils Ohio State's season. 1995, Ohio State's number two. Michigan's number 18. Michigan wins 31-23. Spoils Ohio State's season. That we, Ohio State fans... In the Cooper era, Nathan, they weren't just accustomed to losing. They were accustomed to having great teams and great seasons spoiled by a good but not great Michigan team. And here you come in year two of Trestle, and it's absolutely set up for that again. And it's almost what we're talking. It's like it's magnifying what happened in 2001. It's a line in the sand of what happened before is not going to happen anymore. And it's not just a win. It's a specific kind of win that – Ohio State had been unable to get under Cooper. Right now, it feels like for Michigan to beat Ohio State, the Michigan program has to upset the Ohio State program. I hope people understand what I'm saying there because it felt back then it was just a given team in a given year had to upset the other one. But they existed kind of on the same plane of college football. They don't now. It's like Michigan has to like rocket up to Ohio State's level right now and win the game then and it it wasn't the case back then so I think that 2002 one is more important than the 2001 one because yeah you won that that first one and that that gets the ball rolling but I think you're right I think emphasizing it and because of the nature of the way that rivalry had gone the spoiler nature of that rivalry I thought I think that you're right that that's it it punctuates what Jim Trussell was getting started there that you know to say one time could be a fluke, but when you go up and you win back to back, you're starting to take some ownership of the rivalry. So that's number three on our list. So for Texas, the 2001 win is number four. The 2002 win is number three. The 2006 win is number one. And that means the 2016 win is number two. It is barely ahead of the third, third spot. The 2002 is right on the heels of 2016. And this is really about as close to what happened in 2006 as you can get, because it's not one versus two, but it's two versus three. And Steven, it's a better game. Mm -hmm. We're talking overtime. And again, 
three words, Curtis Samuel scores. The photo, Curtis Samuel in the end zone with his arms out. Like, it's all there. The stakes are a half step shy of the greatest stakes you could have, and the game is unbelievable. I was at that game. It's like the best Ohio State. That's It's a better football. Like, take away the names. It's a better football game than 2006. Yes. Like you just said, the Curtin Samuel touchdown. You've got the spot. The spot. Where is JT Barrett's big butt? Literally one Ohio State football game. You've got Jim Harbaugh in the press conference showing how far off JT Barrett actually was. And it becomes a meme on Twitter to this day. It is still a meme whenever something is short. When you're talking about Ohio State and Michigan. Ohio State made the playoff. Now they got their butts kicked, but they made the playoff and they didn't even get to the Big Ten championship game that year. This is... No brainer has to be on it because, but it boils down to you take away the names, you throw any teams in that situation. That's a hell of a football game. It, it was a great game. It was not a great Ohio State team. It was no. a great game, and it was Harbaugh's best team. And maybe some people are arguing now, but certainly Harbaugh's two best teams, I think, are that team in 16 and now. I thought mm-hmm. going into that game, if a Michigan doesn't get Ohio State now, when are they ever going to get them? They were a really veteran team. That was a that was a really good football team. And Nathan, again, we're talking stakes, and we're back to the line in the sand discussion. Imagine if Harbaugh gets that. It changes everything. Because I think, I mean, Michigan should have gained a lot of respect for competing as hard as it did at a high level in that game. But the bottom line is, whether it was the spot, whether it was Curtis Samuels, ridiculous. I, I really like setup plays when, like, the play before the last play is awesome. And him running like he made a whatever 25 yard game out of nothing. The play before the touchdown in overtime, like Curtis Samuel carried that team by himself. But the level of play, the, and at that point, Nathan Harbaugh is still dangerous to Ohio State fans. That, right? Okay. He came in in 15, maybe wasn't a great Michigan season. Ohio State blew him out. But it's like, okay, it's year two Harbaugh. Okay. This guy, we think this guy's pretty good. I think that was as dangerous as Ohio state fans ever viewed Jim Harbaugh, because then sort of after that, now you get into year three, year four, year five, Hey, he can't win the big game, whatever. At that Mm -hmm. point, he had the number three team in the country coming to Columbus with basically a toss up game. Just from these two and a half years of reading texts from our subscribers, I have gained an understanding of the emotional scars left by those, all those near misses all those times when the season was ruined by Michigan. And I almost get the feeling that the fan base, it started to wane, but I think for a lot of them for a long time, the fear of the resumption of that was just so palpable that it could, that, or not even, I guess that it would happen in that fashion, but that Michigan would, would become a, a threat again um, was always just very staring them in the face because in a lot of ways they they should be more of a threat than they are. So that I putting him kind of getting him sort of locked in that box of not being able to like get this monkey off his back, I think was important. It, it helped. It, I mean, it's important for the program every year to, to end the regular season with that win, whether it's the one taking him into the playoffs or whether it's just for momentum or whether it's just for their own psyche or whatever. But it's clearly important for this fan base, too. I'm totally in on the headline how Ohio State's win in 2016 
locked Jim Harbaugh in a monkey box with is that's gold. <laughs> that is, I know that's not exactly what you said, but it's like, Hey, you and the monkey on your back, get in this box. And, your laptop uh, has a keyboard, man. Go ahead. You can have it. <laughs> so <laughs> that would be, I'm, up my alley. I, I'm yeah. Oh, maybe I'll do that. So let's, that's the texture top four. And I'm going to run through the other games that I sent the texters. But that's what we're going to lean on here. When we say the Mount Buckman, we're going to give it to the Texters. The Texters get to pick. Number one is the 2006 game. Number two is the 2016 game. Number three is the 2002 game. Number four is the 2001 game. Just, just, just missing is the 2018 game at number five. Again, it's 5.77 for the 01 game, 5.83 for the 2018 game. Number six on the list is one that I did have in my top four, which is the 1968 game, which is the uh, like the culmination, not quite culmination because they had to go win the Rose Bowl of the Super Softs. And it's the 50-14 blowout and the legend of because I, we couldn't go for three, which again, Woody probably never actually said. He didn't but, say it, but he didn't say it. The legend is that he said it. And it's the Supersofts blowing number four Michigan off the field. And so, like, Nathan, it's not close, but it's one of those where if you're going to have a blowout, okay, there's one that's like, oh, Ohio State was an underdog and people love that. Ohio State wasn't an underdog here, but it was an announcement. And then they, they the announcement, people loved it so much, they sort of, this folklore cropped up about Woody rubbing it in. Yeah, and that's why I think that it doesn't when when both teams are good, then it doesn't have to be a competitive game in order to be a great win. Um, if both teams are, you know, if it's if it's two nine and two teams, then and one of them wins by a bunch, or if one team is clearly better, as as maybe happening right now in this Ohio State side of this rivalry, then going out and stomping Michigan doesn't have that same memorable quality. But if you're if you're head to head, both teams are great, both teams appear to be great, and one of them goes out and smokes the other one. Yeah, that's going to that's going to live on in a lot of ways because of what Steven was saying before, like you can you're going to talk about moments from big games that are close. But when you can go out and say they just absolutely pulverize this other team and especially for that, because of the promise that hung around that team, too, they were this was the softs that were doing this. So it yeah. was like you they announced mm-hmm. something there. They announced a separation from Michigan that may, that did not actually come to fruition in the next two years necessarily, but they were announcing it and then also announcing themselves as what's going to be like, what else can this team achieve in the next two years? That's the thing with the softs is when you do it with a bunch of young people, now it's like, Oh, we got to deal with this for a while because none of these guys are going anywhere, especially back then. Cause it wasn't like a three, it wasn't a three year plan. You were there right. for four years, four or five years. So you have to deal with every single one of these human beings for the next three years of your life before you can press the reset button on a rivalry. So that's, that's, I mean, everything about the super softs is so legendary. Like that, that's why I did have it in my top four because of those things around it. And then again, it sets up in 1969, it sets up arguably Michigan's greatest win in the rivalry. And then in 1970, Ohio State gets its revenge. I did not put the 1970 game on the list just because there's some recency stuff. And it's like, I can't put people through the ringer on games from 50 years ago. But the 1970 game, again, is a it's a 4-5 matchup, I think. 1970, Michigan's 4, Ohio State's 5. 
Ohio State wins in Columbus 20 to 9. So that's like a really and that was like a that was like I think Ohio State was a close game going into the fourth quarter or something. So that was a big time game too. But I had the 68 game on there. I thought it was it was worthy of that. Um that's number 6 on the texture list. Number 7 on the texture list 2013 which Ohio State it sent Ohio State to the Big 10 Championship game. It was saved. It was this not a very good Michigan team that everybody overlooked, rightly so. And Michigan came out with the best game plan you ever saw. Ohio State was number three. Michigan was unranked. It's forty. It's a 42-41 game. Michigan goes for two. Tyvis Powell intercepts a two-point conversion. All day we were like, where was this Michigan offense all year? So that, again, it stakes for one team, not the other. And then it's somewhat lessened by the fact that Ohio State does not go on and win the national title or even play for the national championship game because in their next game, they get upset by Michigan State in the Big Ten championship or, or potentially that game might be higher. It's a really good game, though. 2005 is eighth on the list for the Texters. First Ohio State-Michigan game I ever covered. Troy, unbelievable. Anthony Gonzalez, the helicopter catch in the final minutes to set up the game-winning score. Again, just like everything about 2001 set up 2002, that 2005 Michigan game. It was a great year in 2005, but it helped set up what came in 2006. So I was close to putting that on, but in the end, that's just like a really good win that doesn't quite have the stakes all around. 1987 Earl game was ninth for the Texers, and then a couple older games. 1975, it's it's a battle of top five teams. Ohio State comes back and wins 21-14. I put that on there. I don't expect people to be experts on that. The 2017 game finished 11th. It's when Dwayne Haskins comes in for JT Barrett. Again, memorable. From the 5-5-9, to me, one of the greatest games was 2017. If you think back, 2016 was an absolute crushing loss for Michigan when they felt they had victory in their hands after being mauled in 2015. Fast forward to the next year, they're controlling the game without a doubt, and they knock out JT Barrett. From Michigan's perspective, that had to feel like a knockout punch and that they were finally going to get over the hump. In comes Dwayne Haskins, who leads a comeback victory that just demoralizes that team from then on. Ever since then, even in 2018 when they were favored, they come out looking like they expect to lose to Ohio State. That's from the 5-5-9. Nathan, that's a really good argument. Again, could have been a line in the sand, wasn't a line in the sand, and there was like some interesting stuff to it. JT Barrett gets hit by the cameraman on the sideline pregame aggravates a knee injury eventually has to come out and it's the birth of Dwayne Haskins future Ohio state star pretty good game yeah it almost made me wonder if that did if 2019 would have maybe gotten more support for the Justin Fields moment because again like I feel like you know a a moment can endure and lift a game up beyond what it, it was and I feel like but that that Justin Fields until Clemson happened and maybe even for some people even more than Clemson still that is the Justin Fields memory at Ohio State to me. It's like he, it's either that or him with the, the noise he made when he sat down for the postgame interview after the Clemson semifinal where he just, his whole oh. his spine and everything had just been crushed. And he oh. breathe, but he was going to do an interview. Okay, it wasn't oh. quite that bad. That sounds like, that sounds like alien. He sounded like an old like man. He didn't sound like Chewbacca. But no, like those are the moments. Like <laughs> Justin Fields is Justin Fields' toughness and his mm. um resiliency are gonna be like staples of his legacy, I think. Or it's not staples of his legacy, that's bad. But you know what I'm saying. Like they're, they're yeah. essential to his legacy at Ohio State. And that game might have I, I wondered if that game would like live higher in people's minds because of that. 
I think that's more about Justin than the rivalry, just because that game was over. It was really cool, but also a house. Yeah. J.K. Dobbins was running all over Michigan. That's the thing people forget about that game. He, he literally dunked on a Michigan defender when he dove into the end zone one time. So that's more about him. But Michigan did start kind of fast in that game, they, too. And they, uh, yeah, they yeah, had, yeah. Had to take over. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it, it was the old, we're going to let them score on the first drive and then adjust after that, that we've come to know and love so well about Ohio State's defense. But also, 2017 is so is like the biggest fool's gold in the world because Dwayne Haskins has that run. And one, he's like dealing, he's throwing it with his arm, and that's what people are excited about. And then he runs, and everybody's so excited about that. And then he never does it again. Because CJ Stroud did the same thing against Michigan State last year where he had the 48 yeah. yarder, and then he never runs again. So that's great moment, but also nothing about what Dwayne did that day actually carried over when he was on the field. And, and the thing is about, I mean, again, this is a good point about sort of the line in the sand moment, but Ohio State had kind of established itself in the Harbaugh era by then. Ohio State did mm-hmm. not go on to do anything spectacular in 2017, don't make the playoff. I thought they were maybe going to don't make the playoff, go to the Cotton Bowl, get a nice win, but not quite all the stuff around it. So, like, I, I didn't have that near my top four, did not make the top four for the majority of texters. Uh, I gave them the 98 game, which was Cooper's second win. It's the Charles Woodson. No, it's it's uh, David Boston, more than 200 receiving yards in the game, right? Like a huge David Boston game. And it's a great Ohio State team not getting spoiled by Michigan finally. But that finished uh, 12th for our Texters in last 1974. Again, it's like one of these things, Nathan, you're sort of talking about, talking about all these like top 10 matchups. It's like, oh, what was 1974? Oh, just a typical Ohio State's number four, Michigan's number three. Ohio State wins 12-10 because Michigan misses a 30-something yard field goal in the final minute, right? But it's like, it was just a top 10 matchup because like in the 10 year war, that's just what you did. You just, they were just two of the five best teams in the country and they played each other and it was close. And sometimes one team won and sometimes the other team won, but there was this run in the seventies where it was almost like it's what established. I think it's what ingrained this rivalry even more in a generation of people that for people who were alive in that era, who are a little older now, it's like, I don't, it's still always the rivalry because it was important. So then even when it wasn't important for a while because Michigan stunk or Ohio State's dominated, man, in the 70s, they were awesome every year, and that was another example of it. When I wasn't, well, I guess I was alive barely in the 70s. I wasn't around for those. Uh, I was around in the 80s and 90s, and that's what I've said before is that it's, it's sometimes difficult for me to now cover this program now and completely divorce myself from the separation that exists between these programs because I grew up thinking of Ohio State and Michigan in the same breath. So I, I, I look forward to the time – fans are going to hate this, but like as someone who just has to cover the games, it, it would be – Funner for college football if Michigan were better and Michigan were challenging Ohio State uh, more year to year. Nah, I'm more for the blowouts where our stories are written halfway through the fourth quarter and we're just kind of chilling. I still say it was the most like unbelievable thing. I go to the national championship game in 2006 and it's like, oh, I'm writing my game story at halftime yep. because it's over. Uh, crazy. 2012 game, a little love from the 708. 2012 game sticks out to me. It was the first time I've been to the game. Nothing from the actual game sticks out to me, except Denard Robinson seeming like the fastest human ever. Oh, and Zach Boren destroying Devin Gardner. And again, that's the Zach Boren standing over Devin Gardner. People know that photo in their mind. 
But other than that, it's a blur. It was just cool because the Buckeyes couldn't play for postseason positioning. It was just for the brotherhood and the hatred of Michigan, which was, again, sort of like, I do think, Nathan, I think there's a reverse to your point of stakes that sometimes when it's like there's no stakes and it's, it's sort of as like these teams would play each other in a parking lot for no reason other than they just want to beat on each other. There's almost a cool factor of that. So I know what this person is saying about 2012, that the fact that Ohio state, that was Ohio state's last game of the year. How often do you know that in this era for Ohio state? Never. Cause they're always going to go to a bowl. It was their last game of the year was against Michigan and they won. This person, the 614 says they like the 2014 game. More in retrospect, I was so upset about JT Barrett's injury and thought that would likely end our chances at making the playoff. And then the 59-0 win over Wisconsin followed a year later. They're like the 2014 game was a good solid win. But yeah, that that season is not about the Michigan game, really. It's JT. I mean, the picture of JT sitting in the stands after he broke his ankle comes back into the stadium mm-hmm. and sitting in the stands watching Cardale at the end. And now yeah. we know what Cardale would go on to become. But it was like that was percolating. In the moment, you didn't feel it as much. So the textures, we got their top four. My top four in the end were I had number one, 2006. Number two, 1987, which most people didn't go for. Number three, 2016. Number four, 1968. Stephen, what was your list? My list was 06, 2018, 2001, 16. And then coming in fifth place was 68 with the Super Sauce. Okay. All right. So, and I don't know, like, I actually don't know that it's recency bias here because when you talk about the greatest wins in the rivalry for Ohio state, like a lot of them have been in the last 20 years because they've won 15 out of the last 16. And some of them have been super stinking important in this great era of Ohio state football. And a lot of them have been really good games. So if you were talking to somebody who was 117 years old and had seen every single Ohio State-Michigan game, I still think a lot of these games in the last 10 and 15 years would be high up on any list because of, of how competitive they were, how high the stakes were, and how many memorable things happened. It is a not only a golden age of Ohio State football, but it really is a golden age of Ohio State memories in the game. And now let's talk about the people that everybody hates from Michigan. We're going to do our Mount Buckmore of Michigan villains next on Buckeye Talk. Okay, so we're working the textures overtime with the homework here. Always appreciate the uh, the hard work. Everybody gets an A. Everybody gets an A. It's Thanksgiving week, and everybody's being uh, helpful to the podcast, and we are here for it. So thanks to everybody for that. I sent a list of 11 villains to the texters. I sent three coaches and I sent three players. No, excuse me, eight players. I sent three coaches and I sent eight players. We're making a Mount Buckmore. And, and greatest villain can mean a lot of things. Nathan, how would you vote? What would you take into account in a vote like this? I think it's got to be somebody who beats Ohio State regularly to really be a villain. And I think there has to probably be some personality, some swagger involved. Sometimes that's harder with players because they can sometimes just come out 
and kill you on the field. And then, and they've got a helmet on, you don't even see their face. And then they just go about their business and, and that's it. But so it definitely, I think applies a little bit more to the coaches that, and also just some, some sort of like a mystique that you can't break through, I think. Um, and and that where you're just not really ever able to shake that person. And that kind of gets on your nerves even more. That's kind of how I define villainy when it comes to sports. From the six, one, four. Oh, Shem Beckler, this is why we're doing this podcast, by the way. People are like, someone was giving me a little a bit of a hard time on the text of like, why are you doing this? Do this in the offseason, break down the game. And it's like, listen, man, like we're not an X and O's podcast. We're not gonna do three separate podcasts breaking down the game and every single matchup. We're gonna have a little fun. But this is why. This we are not personally invested in the Ohio State Michigan rivalry, but I appreciate <laughs> every fan who is invested in the rivalry from the 614. Bo Schembechler was the first Michigan man I learned to hate. I remember hearing my mom, who didn't swear, yell, eat blank, Schembechler, during the game. She is 84 and still hates that team up north just as heartily. As do I, as do my children. Other favorite villains, Marcus Ray, Desmond Howard, of course, Tom Brady, though not until his NFL career, and Jim Harbaugh for both his declaration and his constant whining as their head coach. Eat S-word Schembechler. If I could do it, would be the title of this podcast. That is villainy. Your mother, who is now 84, who doesn't swear, is yelling at the TV. And I do think Bo embodies a lot of this because he's around for a long time. He certainly had big wins over Ohio state. He didn't win all the time. It is very different with coaches than with players, right? Cause there's a, a length of time that you can hate somebody. The hate can fester a little bit, but Steven, this is like, I, I mostly kind of want this to be a Harbaugh discussion. We're going to tell you what the texters voted on. I did my list, but it's really a Harbaugh discussion because are people shouting are people's mothers shouting at the TV, eat S-word Harbaugh. And I don't know if they are because Jim Harbaugh hasn't beaten Ohio State yet. No, they're not. They're probably laughing at him and hoping he never gets fired. They were probably excited when it was clear that Michigan wasn't going to let him go. But I think you can split him up a little bit. There's uh, Jim Harbaugh, the coach. Jim Harbaugh, okay, yeah. Yeah, Jim Harbaugh, the coach, is a laughing stock, and it's like, yes, keep him around forever. Jim, I think people hate Jim Harbaugh, the player, and it's part of why they thought they were going to hate Jim Harbaugh, the coach. No, not part. It's like 85% of the reason they were going to hate Jim Harbaugh, the coach. It was really, it really added to it. A lot of extra spiciness to have that Mm -hmm. guy coming back, the guy who had guaranteed a Michigan win, and then his team had backed it up. I really characterized him as a coach in the survey, and that was actually a mistake by me. I should have said as a player and a coach combined or whatever that you hate him, that I think that's a good distinction because it is really interesting. I mean, I'm trying to think, I don't even know, but you know, it's like if what, what if Troy Smith is the Ohio state head coach someday mm-hmm. or, or Haskell Garrett is the Ohio state head coach someday, or, you know, some, some guy that tortured Michigan then becomes the head coach right now. And, and again, I may have influenced it by only characterizing Jim Harbaugh as a coach we had 11 people to vote for Nathan. Would you guess that Jim Harbaugh is on the Mount Buckmore of Michigan villains? Did he make the top four for the textures? You know, I spent most of the day thinking I wouldn't expect him to, even with recency bias, simply because he 
doesn't beat Ohio State. I don't think they think of him as a threat. But then I started thinking about, like, I had this group of friends in Lafayette when I live in Lafayette, Indiana. I made friends with a couple guys, and then you kind of become part of, like, an extended group of friends. And this probably happens with everybody's bigger group of friends. There's always, like, one guy on the fringe of that group that you can't stand. And, like, you hate it when you go to an event, and he got invited that time, and he's not always there, and just annoying and, and, and you start to hate him, even though you don't really have, he didn't personally transgress you. He just annoys you to the point that you're sick of him showing up. So I could see that being how he, how Harbaugh could make the hate list. Because I will say there are people that I put on this villain list that never beat Ohio state, Mike Hart. And I got the list by asking texters for suggestions. I didn't just make this up. I tried to take in the people who sort of got them was were mentioned the most. Mike Hart is a running back who's now the running backs coach at Michigan who never beat Ohio state. And for his senior year, he said, I'm coming back and I'm coming back to do two things. And one of them was to beat Ohio state and he never did it, but he annoyed Ohio state fans. Chase Winovich didn't beat Ohio state, but he led the revenge tour. Chase Winovich's name came up a lot. I put him on the list. He never beat Ohio state, but he sure annoyed him. Right. That's so there's the annoying villains. And then there's the, you beat us, so I hate you more. And then that's one of those things where you wear your villainy as a badge of respect. And there are people on this list, and I will tell you, the you beat us, so I hate you, those people got more votes than the you only annoyed me as a villain people, which probably is not a surprise. Because I, I, you can deal with, I mean, annoying is annoying, but you can deal with it. Because it's not, it's like a fly in your ear. It's annoying, but just bat it away and, you know, go on about your life. It's hard for me to think of Harbaugh being a villain when he's existed in the same time frame where Dabo Sweeney has been the epitome of the villain. Like there's, there could be no like greater villain. Like the guy keeps beating you at the national level. He votes the 11th in the poll. Like it's, it's all sides. He's got every angle covered on the villain. Yep. And whereas Harbaugh doesn't really cover any of them. He's, he doesn't, he says goofy, aloof things, but to the media, but he's never like talking trash about Ohio state. He doesn't beat Ohio state. It doesn't take the recruits away from Ohio state. What does he do? How does he infringe on Ohio state in any way? He doesn't even know how to combat Doug at big 10 media days the right way. Do something right. That's true. That's a true fact. We were, Stephen just we were all we were all looking forward to that moment. And Nathan, you weren't here yet. We're in Chicago. We were all looking forward to the to the Doug Jim Harbaugh showdown. And it just it didn't it didn't go anywhere. You know, it was boring. So there are some people who who think of Harbaugh this way from the 617 listing villains from the 617 Jim Harbaugh, Desmond Howard, Jim Harbaugh, Charles Woodson, Jim Harbaugh, Tim Biakapatuka, Jim Harbaugh, Anthony Carter, Jim Harbaugh, Bo Schembechler, Jim Harbaugh, Lloyd Carr, Jim Harbaugh, Tom Brady, Jim Harbaugh, Braylon Edwards, Jim Harbaugh, Julius Peppers. They mean Jabril Peppers, Jim Harbaugh and Jim Harbaugh. So that person cast multiple votes for Jim Harbaugh. Uh, here's from the five, six, seven. I don't really consider Jim Harbaugh a villain necessarily. This is Anthony from Finley. I guess I would consider him to be an anti-hero. I originally considered him a villain when he first arrived at Michigan, but his recent character development has portrayed him in a way that he's not really a threat to Ohio State. 0-5 doesn't really scream villain to me. That is pretty darn well stated. This is from our guy, Nate Ardle. He said about, uh, oh no, he, oh, he called Harbaugh a whiner. 
Can't forget the biggest whiner and loser of them all. Jim, the spot was bad. Harbaugh. He has a couple <laughs> of the guys that Nate Arnold didn't like. But what we were talking about with the, with the 2016 game, there is like, that was sort of peak Harbaugh from a danger standpoint and from a villain standpoint, right? They almost won. He's complaining about the spot. He actually has a case. I'm not saying he's right, but he's not definitively wrong, right? He's making a point. And sometimes when somebody has a point, you hate him more because you just want him to shut up, right? From an Ohio State fan standpoint. And then it's kind of melted away after that. Because then it was like, well, in 17, he got beat by a backup quarterback. And in 18 and 19, they got blown out. So if we had done this, Nathan, right after, if we had done this in the offseason of 2016, I think Jim Harbaugh would have been, been in the top four easily, easily. Yeah, it's 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 there's like a specter there. It's like the threat, but the fact that it's been this long and hasn't realized it, like I just I I, I don't know why he's he, again he's he's annoying, he's weird. I wouldn't call him a villain. He did not make it. He's fifth, so he is not in our Mount Buckmore villains. When we, I don't know, we're gonna build this. We're gonna build them all like in a park. Yeah, it's one of those things that keeps coming up on my feet every now and then. It's like there's this park in Virginia where they have like giant busts of like great Americans or something. They were going to do a, a, a park for it and they never did. There's just weird statues out in the field. That's we're going to have Mount Buckmore. <laughs> it's not going to be official, but there's going to be. Although sometimes, by the way, sometimes our listeners and our texters really come through for us. If you want to chip people's faces into the side of a mountain, we will tell people on the podcast where to go. So if you want to build like a Chris Carter, Chris Olave, Ted Ginn Jr., you know, kind of receiver Mount Buckmore and anything else, we'll make maps if you guys do all the work. Harbaugh's not going to make it. Mike Hart fits this kind of annoying thing. He's also not going to make it. He's seventh of the eleven. Mike Hart from the 614, arrogant, mouthy, and nothing to back it up. A mediocre running back with an unrealistic view of himself and his team. That was mean. That was mean to Mike, to Mike Hart. Uh, from the 937, Mike Hart, he came back to beat Ohio State and thankfully never did. Somebody else also mentioned Chad Henney, Mike Hart, and Jake Long as a, like a trio, triumvirate of mm-hmm. guys. That was kind of that era of Michigan football when Michigan football was pretty darn solid but could ne- never get over the top. And that was that group of guys who played a lot of football for the Wolverines and never beat Ohio State. So Mike Hart is seventh. Lloyd Carr is sixth. Lloyd Carr wasn't necessarily in my head, but people suggested him, so I put him on the list. Lloyd Carr, this is from the 614. Lloyd Carr, constant scowl. He hated Ohio State and gave them no praise in defeat. His weak post-game handshakes with John Cooper and Jim Trussell spoke volumes. Pretty good shot at Lloyd Carr, so he finished sixth. Harbaugh's fifth. I'll tell you the other guys who didn't make it. Chase Winovich, who led the revenge tour in 18 defensive ends. He finished 11th. Number 10, Rick Leach. Again, that older generation, there are some people who really hate Rick Leach. He was the starting quarterback at Michigan for four straight years from 75 to 78. He lost in his first year and then won three in a row. It's like, oh, what's a way to make Ohio State fans hate you? It's like, be the starting quarterback that beats them three years in a row. And for instance, when Troy Smith beat Michigan, three years as the starting quarterback. He was the first guy to do it since Tippy Dye in the 30s. Rick Leach did it for Michigan on the other side in the 70s. So Rick Leach was there. He was number 10. John Colasar, he's an Ohio native, Northeast Ohio. The 88 game, 
he like returned the kickoff late in the game, 59 yards to set up Michigan and then caught the game winning touchdown pass, 41 yard touchdown pass and a 34 31 Ohio state win. And there are people who like, like this person from the three, two, one, John Colasar, or as he is referred to by many, John effing Colasar, the 88 game was awful. And to have a Westlake Ohio guy do it made it hurt even more. So that's why he got on the list. He's not on Mount Buckmore. He finished ninth. Eighth, Ty Streets caught the pass when Sean Springs slipped. Touchdown that kind of, again, wiped out a great Ohio State team, uh, a great Cooper team. That's more of a Sean Springs play that sticks, I think, in people's minds. But somebody had to be the guy that he slipped who was covering, who caught it and then ran in. That's Ty Streets. He finished eighth. Hart, seventh. Lloyd Carr is sixth. Harbaugh is fifth. This guy is fourth, and he was first on my list because I don't think you could have a conversation about the Ohio State-Michigan game from the Ohio State standpoint and said, like, an individual game that you hate a guy from a game, I think you really quickly get to Tim Biakabatuka. And I'm surprised he's only fourth. But it's kind of like a one-time thing, 313 rushing yards in the 95 game. I mean, he's like a he's like a cult hero from the seven three four. Again, this is our guy Nate continuing that other email, uh, other text. Tibiaka Patuka will forever be seared into my memory. It was the low of the Cooper era, right after my graduation from Ohio State, after experiencing mostly losses during my time in college, including the inexplicable loss in '93. So, like this is Tibiaka Patuka, Stephen, like tramples hearts, like, and he's good, but the greatest. He's like their Trey Sermon. Right. If you put on a yeah. list, it's like, who does who does Northwestern hate? Right. Northwestern's like, I hate, yeah. I hate Trey Sermon. And it's like Trey Sermon. It's like, yeah, you're in for six hundred and nineteen yards against Northwestern in the Big Ten championship game. Tim Biakabatuka is Trey Sermon, except he did it in the freaking game. Yeah, uh, that's a better example. I was here to say he's a, he's Chris Olave. If Chris Olave doesn't like turn out to be anything more than that, if he just has that one little spark and that's it. Um, that's why he's fourth. But also. Looking at this list, it's like, man, Ohio State doesn't have a lot of people that you can just hate over there at Michigan. They can just hate the intensity because th- th- there's other people, but they're not necessarily like no-brainers. And it, the fact that he's on this list kind of attests to that. It's You had a really good game, but I don't know if that, in most cases, if this was a more Im- impressive list, he would be on it, even if he did have 313 rushing yards in a game. I also wanted to say, I forgot to say this with the 419 about Chase Winovich. Is it possible to vote just for Winovich's hair? I had to look him up to remember his name, but his stupid blonde hair will forever be imprinted in my mind as the biggest villain of the revenge tour. That This is coming from a texting service that is excited about a kid with a mullet and a dirty stash. Listen, you hate the haircut on the other guy. <laughs> you love the haircut on your guy. I don't know what to tell you, man. Or the lack of a haircut. That's, that's just real that's life. That's fair. Because, like, they hate Trevor Lawrence's hair, too, I'm, I'm betting. I mean, if Quinn Ewers someday throws six touchdown passes against Michigan, they're gonna Michigan's going to hate his hair, even though he has Chase Winovich's hair. Uh, I wanted to say this I thought was good. That upset in 69, I mean, it's just one of the most crushing defeats, right, in Ohio State history. They go to Ann Arbor. There's rumors like the guys not feel good that day or whatever. This, the Super Softs, they go suffer their first loss. So to acknowledge that from the 3-2-1, the whole 1969 team, or if one player on that team, Barry Pearson, who had three interceptions and a big punt return, 
I didn't even look that up because I'm trusting that person from the 321. I did double check this. Dennis from the 360. Jim Mandich, he was the captain of that team for Michigan. Being carried off the field after the 69 game is etched into my brain. I hated that smirky SOB RIP. Which again is just like, <laughs> jeez. I think there's a level of it. Hold on, hold on. It's crazy. I, I respect it because he showed him some respect while also honored the fact that this is the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. And I still have to – even in death, I hate you. I do. I mean, if, if you hate a guy while he's here, you probably should hate him while he's gone. And again, mm-hmm. it's sports hate. It's sports hate. It's sports hate. But I thought, I thought that was, that was a, an encapsulation of that. Um, from the 304 villains, Mike Murphy, he was the first ever head coach of that corn-colored team. He started it all. He's their villain <laughs> origin story. And then the 1902 Michigan team, 86-0 win over Ohio State, largest win in series history. Pretty sure the assembly line wasn't invented then, but they still get to boast that they beat us 86-0. So this, this guy thinks the whole team from 119 years ago uh, is a bunch of villains. All right, let's get to a top three that I think is a pretty good top three. Bo's third. We got uh, the 514. They're calling him Benedict Schembechler from the uh, 614. Bo, the best fake good coach ever and a quitter. So, like, I mean, he's Bo. We know the deal, right? He's an assistant at Ohio State. He goes to Miami, Ohio. They hire him. He goes to Michigan. He's frenemies. Well, I mean, we all know the Bo, the Bo story, but it is funny to be Nathan that just like these swipes of just like Benedict. It's like he was hired oh, in 1969. Man. He just took a job, man. And it's like Benedict Schembechler, and then they call him a quitter. Oh, I think it's, I mean, it, it endures, man. It endures. So Bo had to be in the top four. How, when did he die again? It's relatively recently. No, I mean he, he died the week he died the week of the, of the game of the 2006, 2006 game. Yeah. I was just trying to think if it's possible that we are getting texts from people who weren't alive when he was alive who were calling him Benedict Bo, which oh, yeah. will happen. Like give it another like five, ten years and we'll be oh, getting yeah. those texts. But I that I did leave that off the checklist of, of villainy, but I think turncoat definitely factors into villainy a guy who if he was a you know a player for your team but he left as a free agent and started playing for the team that beats you that sort of thing so i i mean coaching coaches bounce around all the time it's not like he came went to michigan i don't think despite ohio state but certainly benedict bow has to factor into the villainy even if it isn't right. even if it isn't part of his heart it wasn't in his heart that like i'm i'm going there to stab ohio state in the back he's just like i'm gonna go be a head coach Ohio state doesn't want me to be a head coach michigan does i'm gonna go be michigan's head coach like i hate to tell you guys this all you ohio state fans but i think there's a lot of ohio state assistant coaches who would go be the head coach at michigan if they were asked there were two ohio state assistant coaches on this staff the last two years who came from Michigan <clears throat> and Doug gave one of them a pretty hard time about it. Well, the first time we talked to him, but no, he's number one, the dude's from Ohio. He was under Woody. And then he went and started. Yes. You just took a job, but then you went and took a job and you did it very well and started a 10 year war. I had both third 
because the Bianca Batuka thing is just so ingrained to me. And it was so extraordinary and not exactly out of nowhere. It was a starting running back the whole year, but like from Kenny Stabler in the 614, Tim Bianca Batuka, I can still hear the echoes of my friend's dad cursing from the other room as he tore our national championship dreams apart. And then people thought he was better than Eddie George and he got drafted higher than Eddie George. Like that's some good Tim Bianca Batuka. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kenny also mentioned Braylon Edwards. He was good. But he talked too much, and then he he always made game-winning plays for Michigan, and then he went to the Browns and stunk. So Kenny is like (laughs) double angry about that a good Michigan player who then is not good for the Cleveland Browns. Also, by the way, John Cooper ineligible as a Michigan villain, even though he did get a couple votes from the four one nine. I will answer this answer this partly tongue in cheek. My greatest Ohio State villain is John Cooper. I attended Ohio State from 90 to 95, and for several years after I lived in Columbus, so many great Buckeye teams blowing that game that had no business blowing that game. I'm still so scarred by those years that I annually, I annually, I refuse to accept that Ohio State is truly better and could possibly win. I mean that, even after all these years. Permanent hurt, disappointment, cancel Rose Bowl trips during those years. John Cooper followed closely by Jimmy Goofball. What a weird guy. His antics on the sidelines would be embarrassing. If he was a Buckeye, sorry for the long text. Go Bucks, Jason, the 419. So, I mean, Coop knows the deal. I mean, he can't escape it from the 614. Can I count John Cooper as a Michigan villain? So Cooper is not allowed to be on the list. Biakovatuk is four. Bo is three. And we have two players who are the top two. And they are both from Ohio. And Nathan, would you imagine, just like John Colasar, would you imagine that that factors into this, that there are two Michigan Heisman winners who took Ohio State apart and did it while hailing from Ohio? Absolutely. It's, it's sort of an extension of the turncoat factor, right? Like you were, you were here, you were, you were in our zip codes uh, or our, you know, within, within arm's reach, uh, seemingly of Ohio Stadium. And when you go up and, and, and play for the other guys. Yeah. I think that's absolutely going to simmer again, even if it wasn't out of spite, I think that absolutely hangs around in people's minds because they think of there's maybe some entitlement there, but also just it's, it's sometimes what makes a guy a villain is what he makes you think of your own program. And if you're thinking like there's a deficiency in that period at Ohio state, that that guy was getting away and going to play for Michigan instead of playing for Ohio State. Again, that's, it makes him more of a villain to you, even though it's not like something he did. It's almost something Ohio State didn't do. The thing about those two is they are the epitome of what Michigan is in this rivalry at its best, is that every so often they steal some guys from, you know, Northwest Ohio, Northeast Ohio to come over on the other side of the, the picket fence and they make Ohio State pay for it, pay for it. One of them is the second wide receiver to ever win the Heisman Trophy, and the other one's the only defensive player to ever win the Heisman Trophy, which are two things that that Michigan can hang over Ohio State's head. That's what it is. It's it, Yes, they're traitors and all that, but Michigan's had plenty of guys over the past 100 years who have they've pulled from Ohio to come play for them, especially when you get around that border. From the 937, this their top four, one Bo, two Desmond Howard, three Charles Woodson, four Harbaugh, right? Like that's the, the kind of in the range here. And I will tell you that Charles Woodson is second and Desmond Howard is first. Charles Woodson returns a punt for a touchdown in the 97 game, has the fight with David Boston 
in that game that is still what if you if you watch awesome. a Michigan Ohio State 32nd highlight film of the rivalry, David Boston and Charles Woodson hitting each other is guaranteed to be in there. Guaranteed mm-hmm. to be in there. So not only it's like extraordinary skill, extraordinary performance, and also like th- throwing punches, right? Like like Woodson covered it all, Extra- an extraordinary player. I will tell you the number one thing that I am taking away from this entire exercise, best game, greatest villain, the absolute number one thing that I was not aware of is how much Ohio State fans hate Desmond Howard. They hate him. He is number one, and like it's not close. Desmond Howard, 2.71. Charles Woodson, 3.59. Bo Beckler, 3.82. Tim Biakapatuka, 4.94. Then Jim Harbaugh, 5.68. Hate him. But that- hate him. And it's compounded you by the fact that he's been on ESPN for exactly. 30 yeah. years. Yes. He's the present villain because the team isn't the present villain. The mm-hmm. present coach isn't the present villain. The present players aren't the present. It's it's this guy who happens to be from Michigan who goes on TV and talks about things. Uh, more than probably what – I don't know what he did against Ohio State in his career. He might be their number one villain if he never caught a pass against well, Ohio State. He well, did the Heisman pose in the end, in the end zone, zone out there. That's right. Yeah. And you know yeah. what? He's been doing the Heisman pose in the end zone ever since, and that's why they hate him. Every time they talk about Ohio State on college game day, he is the one of the – the four of them that can't say something nice about Ohio State without pulling his teeth. I, I had, I did not have any idea it was to oh, yeah. this level. It was to this level. I had Desmond second on my list, but like the the vitriol is fascinating. But I think we're making a good point. He is. I mean, you're from Cleveland, and you drop a Heisman pose in the end zone of the game when everyone knows you're going to win the Heisman. That is absolutely ruthless, absolutely ruthless. And then to the point, so he's, he really is the epitome in the past of the greatest villain. Cause he didn't just, he had, he was awesome, great skill. And then he was like, he had also annoyed them cause he rubbed it in and he's now he's been around for 30 years. So he is the embodiment of past and present, what it means to be. A Michigan villain, and I and I just I missed the boat on this from the five one seven. Good, he turned. He went from dominating on the field, and he turned into Mark May. Yeah, Basically. right. I mean, Mark May got a couple votes, even like out of nowhere. I was like, why are you voting for Mark May? It's like he went to Pitt. He just hates Ohio State all the time. This is not game related. But yeah, this is Desmond. It's like, what if I told you? The greatest player in Michigan in history was also a TV personality for two decades that didn't like Ohio State. It's like, oh, then this would happen. From the 517, Desmond Howard, more after football because he seems to always be dishing out his hate on ESPN. From the 740, Desmond Howard has to be on the list. His, shena- his shenanigans, as well as his TV analysis, always makes me hate him. From the 419, Desmond Howard, yes, as a player, but even more as an annoying game day personality. Plus, he blocked me on Twitter because I tweeted Ann Arbor's a whore at him in 2016. Again, it's a rivalry podcast. It's a song. It's a, it's a song. So you're allowed, you're allowed to tweet it. From the 919, Desmond Howard, absolutely. From Ohio, Heisman posed in the end zone, insult on top of injury. 
times two. And then from the 740, Desmond Howard to this day is number one. The hate is still real. So Desmond, I don't know if he probably would take it as a badge of honor, right? Because the foundation of it is extraordinary play. It's the foundation of it is not annoyance. He's piled annoyance on top of, I beat you and I dropped the Heisman pose on you. So I think he would accept this honor, but he is the runaway winner. So our Mount Buckmore for Michigan villains, Desmond Howard, Charles Woodson, Bo Beckler, and Tim Biakabatuka. Steven, anything in the end really surprise you about any of this? Again, Harbaugh is right there, but doesn't quite make it. No, I'm fine with this list. Um, I do think, to the point I was making earlier, Harbaugh might be number one if the last you know seven years that he's been the head coach had been kind of a back and forth and he had a couple wins because then there's a case between him and Desmond Howard of Desmond beat you and now he just talks a lot of trash on television versus Jim Harbaugh beat you and now he's still beating you. Yeah. Um, but since that's not the case, I'm, I'm fine with him being j- just on the outside and these four being on. What was your top four, Stephen? Was it this four? Did you have Harbaugh yes. in yours? Uh, no, I didn't. He was fifth for me. My, my order, though, was Sim Beckler, Howard, uh, Woodson, and Tim Bianca Patuka. All right. So I had these four also. My order was Bianca Patuka, Howard, Shem Beckler, and Woodson. We both had Harbaugh fifth. Mm-hmm. Nathan, can Harbaugh eventually get on this Mount Buckmore? Should that be a goal for him to chase? Oh, he, I mean, he absolutely can get on it. I mean, start with Saturday. If Michigan finds a way to win on Saturday, I mean, it, it ruins what could be a national championship season for Ohio State. Takes Ohio State out of any contention for that. How about next year when Ohio State's supposed to have the best team in the country? If, if Michigan found a way to win that, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, the, the opportunity is there because of how good Ohio State is going to be to become the nemesis again. But they sure seem a, a pretty far distance from being that. I will tell you, there, there are two other guys I'm intrigued by on this Michigan roster just because they're young and they're five stars. So Donovan Edwards at running back and J.J. McCarthy at quarterback as five-star freshmen. They have a chance to help Michigan on Saturday, but then they also have a chance to be multi-year starters at Michigan. And J- again, talking origin story, J.J. McCarthy's origin story of like, he wants to come to Ohio State. Ryan Day picks Kyle McCord over J.J. McCarthy. And then J.J. McCarthy tells Ari that, like, I'm going to burn Ohio State down to the ground. I mean, that's not exactly what he said. But, like, J.J. McCarthy in high school is like, mm-hmm. let's go. Bring he's it. Like, like, he's yeah. basically, honestly, he's like the perfect quarterback for Jim Harbaugh because they have, both have that similar mindset. Of they're going to talk some trash and then go back it up. And I mean, if, if McCarthy is a good player, He's got the personality to be annoying to Ohio State fans. And then he has skill. He's a five-star quarterback that Ohio State looked at. So that's a guy you've got to have on your villain radar along with Jim Harbaugh. And then we'll see. I mean, we talked about it, Nathan, on the Monday pod. Mike McDonald, that's an assistant coach. Again, if it, it could this be a line in the sand or the beginning of a line in the sand that Ryan Day, Ryan Day's legacy against Michigan really started in his two years as an assistant We don't know where Mike McDonald's going, but he has a chance to try to turn this thing around for Michigan as a defensive coordinator right now. Yeah, it was a good uh, madness topic. It made for good column fodder for me this morning, but I still wonder like in this moment, if, if talent discrepancy is just going to 
dictate this. I was because as you look at what Michigan does defensively this year, I was looking back over their schedule and like the best offense they've played is probably Michigan State, which just put a big goose egg up against Ohio State. Their second best offense they've played is probably Nebraska. So what, yeah. I mean, what are we talking about here? Yeah. Yep, that's true. Come back for that thrilling analysis the rest of the yeah. week. All right, so I mean, we'll be back. Go ahead, Steve. No, I was getting ready to just agree with Nathan. My analysis all week is going to be very similar. So, so we're going to talk to Ryan Day and some of the captains on Tuesday. That will be what we talk about on the Wednesday pod, just like usual, right? We sort of react to the things that we learn, so it's not just us shooting our mouths off. And then the Thursday pod will drop it Thanksgiving morning, but then you guys will have two full days to listen to it. You don't have to listen to it at Thanksgiving unless you want to put in headphones and drown out your family. So you'll have Thursday and Friday to listen to what I think will be a nice, meaty, maybe 90-minute preview because we're going to have them live reporters on with Michigan expertise. And we do want to dig into some of these matchups and and where there might be interesting things. Because, again, there have been some really interesting games in this series, even though Ohio State's won 15 out of the last 16. All right. That was a little detour, a little historical detour. Get the rivalry juices flowing. We'll catch you guys back with some more football analysis on Wednesday. For now, on behalf of Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.